Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. You are now tuned in to the Jags Den Podcast, the official podcast of the Jaguars Wire, brought to you by USA Today Sports Media Group, and also the number one Jaguars podcast on the airwaves. True crime lovers are always looking for new and engaging content. The Already Gone podcast covers stories from Michigan and the Great Lakes region. Cases you haven't heard before, like the Mayo Hunters or the murder of 16-year-old Justin Mello, plus better-known cases like the death of Jane Bashara and Illinois' own Lori Dan. Already Gone started in 2016, so there is a big back catalog for you to enjoy. Find Already Gone on Apple Podcasts, Good Pods, or your favorite podcatcher. Yo, what is up, everybody? Welcome back to the Jags Den podcast, the number one Jaguars podcast on the airwaves, and of course, the official podcast of the Jaguars Wire. I'm your host, Phil Smith, aka Phil the Filipino, and on this not Victory Monday, I am joined by, as always, Jacob DeLawrence, James Johnson. Gentlemen, how are y'all doing? Did the Jaguars ruin your weekend? Well, Jacob, you're probably good, but uh, as far as Jay, how are y'all? How are you doing? <laughs> More like Beatdown Monday <laughs> that we got to speak on, man. Oh, man, it's been rough, man. And I say rough because it's all of this stuff to cover, and it's no victory to cover. So, yeah, man, it's a little bit harder when you got to do all the work, put in all the work, and then it end up being a loss. Uh, yeah, my team won 41-7. And uh, as far as Jags go, yeah, it's one of them days. Um, if this was a little later in the season, today might be a Black Monday, but hey. Right. Right. By the yeah, way, while you speaking on the Ravens, uh, I, I do want to say this. I ain't mean to cut Phil off. Uh, I appreciate all of the great things that Lamar Jackson has done for my fantasy roster. And at the rate all he's going, is. he's going to win me about $80 in uh, next month. So shout outs to him. All I'm saying is you can have a franchise quarterback for a fraction of $80 million. But no, we had to go get another lineman. Do you guys want to trade a Taven, uh, for Taven Bryan for uh, Lamar Jackson? He's having a great year, Taven Bryan. <laughs> he actually is having a great year. <laughs> Would I still make that trade if Baltimore was crazy enough to do it? Um, Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we'll definitely get into a lot of that as far as the front office goes. Um, before we get started, of course, make sure you're keeping up with all of our content. The main website is jaguarswire.usatoday.com. And then, of course, we're on social media on Twitter at the Jaguars Wire. You can find the, pa- the podcast at Jags Den Podcast, uh, myself at Phil the Filipino, Jay at SportsGrind underscore Don, and Jacob at uh, underscore Jay Della. And, of course, the podcast is pretty much wherever you listen to your podcast. We're on Spotify or iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and, of course, the Audio Boom Network Thanks to USA Today. Uh, gentlemen, plenty to get into here this week as we reluctantly speak on these Jacksonville Jaguars on this, <laughs> on this day. Um, before before we get into the main topics, of course, we get into our, our quick hits. Number one, um, looks like Josh Oliver is going to 
uh, most likely miss some time again. That guy just for some reason, as soon as he gets on the field, he unfortunately is leaving it again. Almost like he's sustained a small back fracture during the Colts game. Jay, do you have any any additional information about this, and how do you think this is going to affect the offense, if at all? I mean, I think he only had a few catches coming into the game and maybe one or two. Uh, I'll pull out the box score here in a minute. But uh, any impact this is going to have to the team offensively in the short term? Uh, Well, yeah. Well, by the way, on his stats, he had, I think it was uh, – three catches for 15 yards on the season so yeah not really that much of an impact in terms of when it happened it happened on the only reception he got on the day which was for five yards or it at least appears to well yeah it did happen on this because uh if i don't know if you guys were watching the game but when he got that reception he was brought down kind of awkwardly and i don't like i noticed it immediately but i didn't really see anybody else tweet about it but the thing the first thing he did was immediately grab his back uh, because of how he was kind of contorted while being brought down by, I, I think it was a linebacker. I can't recall who it was exactly. Uh, but the next play, I did see him in the huddle. So I was thinking, you know, maybe it wasn't that big of a deal. But the way he grabbed his back and the way he went down, it, it definitely didn't look that good. And uh, Ian Rappaport reported that it was multiple back fractures, well, with an S on it. So uh, it's it's more than one, at least, how Ian Rappaport put it. And, uh, of course, uh, which we'll talk about, uh, they made some moves to uh, basically, you know, fill the roster spot in his spot and uh, somebody else who we'll talk about that went on IR. But, yeah, I mean, like, yeah, I guess from the perspective that of what the, the body of work he already put on the field, it uh, it looks like it's not that impactful. He's still relatively young. We're talking about a 22, 21-year-old young man. So, the future still could be bright. They really just couldn't uh, really get him healthy with the hamstring injury he got during training camp that kept him out till like week six. And uh, now it's this that we have to deal with. Uh, but, uh, you, you know, I guess we'll see what the future holds for him. Uh, but it is devastating in the sense that, you know, if you thought there was a chance to get some production out of the tight end position later in the future, which this offensive scheme kind of needs. And, you know, we've seen that tight ends are vital to this scheme. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a bit of a downer from that perspective. Uh, but, I mean, if you're those one of the people that feel like the season is pretty much over, it really don't really hurt you from that perspective. Um, yeah, unfortunately for Oliver, this seems to be one of those years where it's just like, man, can I – no pun intended, catch a break. Because like you said, start the season on IR basically comes back. It's like, all right, while we weren't expecting too much, we are just like, okay, this will give us potential. We can build towards next year. Maybe it'll help Marone's case, assuming Marone is around next year. And he goes down with multiple back fractures. And that pluralness of it makes you wonder that he's probably done for the year and probably into the offseason, depending upon how bad it is. And it's just another year where the hits keep coming. It started in week one with Nick Foles, and it just seems to continue on, unfortunately. Yeah, and the crazy thing about it is, you know, we came into the bye excited about where we were health-wise. The only person that was on the injury report was, uh, ironically, another tight end, which is why this is an even bigger hit, because they just taken so many hits at tight end between putting Swaim and James O'Shaughnessy on IR, and then you got the oblique injury with self-devalve that happened last week, and he was the only person on the injury report. So, I mean, like, you know, I say all of that to say this, you know, we came into this game real healthy and 
uh, you know, just can't seem to catch a break uh, because we're once again talking about uh, major injuries after just uh, one game after the bye week. Just out of curiosity, Jay, and just having not not obviously not really you know paid attention to him in in college, was this a problem? Was he injury prone in back in school? I can, if I can recall, he was re- relatively healthy. If I can recall, now I I think and don't quote me on this. There may have been some injuries earlier in his career, but uh, I, I hear Jacob clicking on his keyboard, so he's probably looking into it for me. But I, I don't think, like, in, in terms of, like, you know, his senior and junior season, I think he was pretty much available most of the games for San Jose State. Um, let's see here. In his four years at San Jose State, San Jose State, he played four games his freshman year, four games his sophomore year. That's expected. His junior and senior year, he played 10 and 12 games, um, respectively. Let's look at his junior year real quick. And, I mean, he put up pretty solid numbers when he was in college. And, and by the way, I mean, like, I just think, like, he's just endured some freak accidents, to be honest with you. Like I said, the way he was brought down. You know, that's that's just an awkward situation that, you know, I mean, unfortunately, running backs and uh, tight ends kind of get contorted, you know, especially taller type of players, skilled players get contorted in the wrong way sometimes when they're brought down from behind. And if I can recall, he was brought down from behind. And I, I think this is more just like misfortune or, or uh, you know, things that that rarely happen. Uh, that occurred with with Josh Oliver. Now the hamstring. Now, of course, you know that's that's something you see with skilled players all the time, especially with the you know the tight ends and running backs of the world. So uh, it, it just appears like when he he sustained the hamstring injury, it was just a very severe one. And Doug Marone did say that, and they probably wanted to be more so safe with him when they brought him back from the hamstring injury. Uh, who's to say he couldn't have come back earlier? But I think what it was is the team learned from Leonard Fournette basically uh, to basically take your time with hamstring injuries because if you come back on a hamstring injury and re-injure it, it just kind of just really sets you back furthermore. You know, we we know Leonard Fournette uh, pretty much was absent in half of the games last year, albeit one was for a suspension, but he didn't see a lot of time on the field last year because he came back from a hamstring injury, re-injured it, and uh, so on and so forth. Yeah, it looks like he really didn't miss too much time during college due to injury, especially his last two years. So this just seems more so a case of bad luck. Yep. Yeah, one thing I can definitely say, though, um, you know, just given the team's recent history, especially with a guy like Marquise Lee, I can tell you the reaction from the fan base is that the guy is injury prone. So the rumblings are already starting as far as his reputation, whether it be unwarranted or not. So definitely hope that Josh gets a you know gets a speedy recovery and hope that he has a long and successful career here in Jacksonville. Um, of course, with the with the result of Josh Oliver going down, that does leave a uh, a slot for them to fill, and they fill that with um, tight end Nick O'Leary, Florida State great uh, Nick O'Leary. I, I right, will right. I will add on there. Put so, some respect uh, on his name. <laughs> I, I apologize. I did correct myself. Uh, but yeah, guys, what do you what do you think? I mean, there's so much talk about Nick Foles needing an, an elite tight end. I mean, you've seen O'Shaughnessy go down, and then now Oliver, and it's like like like. Jay said it's just been like a rotating door there um do you what do you see uh, out of um 
uh, out of them bringing in Nick O'Leary. And also, uh, we also today placed uh, Laurenti McRae on IR, uh, promoting Charles Jones from the practice squad. So really more so for Nick O'Leary, you know, what do you see, um, if anything, any kind of production that he may be able to provide to this Jaguar offense that is just in desperate need of really any any kind of consistency? Yeah, probably at this point, like anybody you get off of the street with the trade with the trade deadline being over, it's probably not going to produce much in terms of, especially as a receiver. Now, O'Leary can help them out probably from a blocker's perspective. Now, I'm, he's not a guy that I've seen a lot of film on, or I can recall him when he was in Florida State. But um, I think more so like people should temper their expectations if they're hoping to get like a lot of receiving yards out of him, of course, and uh, more so, you know, look towards him as a blocker that could help them out. And, um, you know, because that was one of the issues actually with this game is, you know, albeit I don't think they were right to do this. They got away from Leonard Fournette. But the reason for that, I believe at least was because self valve, the tight end who they use as a H back type of guy was out, you know, like, and they were thin at the tight end numbers. We all know Josh Oliver, and Ben Koyak were the only active tight ends. And Josh Oliver, by any means, we know that he's more of a receiving threat than uh, more so than a blocker for sure. And that left him really with only one tight end that you can quote unquote consider a blocking tight end. And that was Ben Koyak. And that kind of that kind of hampered their plans in, in terms of, uh, you know, using Leonard Fournette to uh, the capacity that they wanted. Again, I, I don't see that as an excuse i think they still should have tried to concoct uh him more into the game plan or put him more into the game plan uh but that's neither here or neither there we'll talk about that later but yeah um, that's my thoughts on o'leary he's a guy that maybe can help him as a h-back or a blocker type deal maybe jacob can talk more so on him because he knows florida state like that and uh, the second part of your question was about McCray, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so, yeah, that was, you know, he was a rotational guy. So I don't think it really hurts him. So to, I mean, hurts the team, so to speak. Uh, but uh, I would think that could help out definitely DeJuan Smoot to get more time, if you will. Uh, who's already he's having a decent season, by the way. You know, we talked about that in. The podcast me and you did in Jacksonville, Phil, how the young. Yeah, huge fan running. favorite, too. He really, really popular guy. Yeah, yeah, he, and he has his, uh, you know, his social media channel on YouTube, so we'll get more looks at him, and he's a guy that, like, a lot of the fan base is cheering for and they gravitate towards and like, so uh, that helps him. Um, yeah, as far as Nick O'Leary goes, while you're probably not going to see the Nick O'Leary from Florida State, especially that title run in the year after, the thing that Nick O'Leary is really, really good at is being able to pass protect and then just pop out as a safety valve. And that's where O'Leary really made a lot of his killing at Florida State and kind of with the Bills and a little bit with the Dolphins, but not so much, where he'll pass protect or he'll pick up a blitz real quick, bump somebody off, and then he'll just pop out in the flats for like a little catch, and it's like a five-yard game. So well, with somebody like Nick Foles, O'Leary's might be Foles' new best friend, as far as just like, oh, I need somebody to dump it off to. Fournette's not available. There's O'Leary. Boom. And he's secure. So it's another security blanket. And like you said, it's improvement on blocking from the tight end position. And also, Phil, um, on, uh, I know you asked a little bit about Charles Jones. It's not much known about him. But he's a guy that we, uh, we added out the final cuts as an undrafted rookie free agent to the practice squad. But just a quick hit on him. Uh, he went to Tulane, and actually, a little nugget I just wanted to throw out there on him is uh, he was a childhood friend 
with Leonard Fournette. So uh, I don't know, like, what's the story behind that? But I read that earlier. Oh, there you go. You know, like Nick Nick Foles wants us to just focus on our relationship. So maybe that'll help Leonard Fournette, you know. So we'll get into that here in just a moment. Um, Oh, one more thing on Nick O'Leary real quick. Um, He is also the grandson of Jack Nicholas. So, hey, you know, come the offseason, he might win a little money in some golf tournaments. Hey. (laughs) All right. For a split second, I confused Jack Nicholas and Jack Nicholson. (laughs) <laughs> and right. I was like, "Oh, cool! We get Jack's gonna come. Yeah, yeah Jack's really some gonna games. come. I was skip some Laker games. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. I, I was like, you know, again, I don't think he want to watch the Jags, though. The Jags and the Lakers draw the same, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What else would you rather do on a Sunday, right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, all right, guys. Well, those are the. That's uh, really the only quick hits we wanted to talk about with those roster moves. Um, we'll get into. The good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll just do a quick recap on the game. Of course, the highly anticipated return of Nick Foles. And in the first half, it was 10-7. to 7. It was competitive, and Nick Foles did. Uh, it was very reminiscent of his Week 1 performance where he hit DJ Chark for a touchdown pass, and everybody got very excited, and then... Uh, and then just disaster followed, uh, pretty much is what happened. So Nick Foles, uh, in his return, goes 33 of 47, 296 yards, two touchdowns, and an interception. Leonard Fournette gets eight carries for 23 yards, which I'm sure we'll get into. Uh, DJ Chark led the way, eight catches, 104 yards, Chris Con- and also the two touchdowns. Chris Conley, six catches, 58 yards. Four for 41 for Keelan Cole, seven catches for 34 yards for Leonard Fournette. And then four catches, 32 yards for... D.D. Westbrook. Miles Jack led the way in tackles with seven. We will talk about him here in a second. Um, D.J. Hayden actually had a pretty solid game. Uh, he was he was all over the field. He also recorded a sack um, and then um, not too much sticking out. And also Taven Bryant uh, sticking out as well in, in certain points, which he, he has those couple plays every single game where he's he's, he's sticking out and, and making a big play. So so good for him. Uh, on the Colts side of things, um, Jacoby Brissett also returning. Um, 15 of 24, 148 yards, a touchdown and interception. But really, uh, where the Jaguars got just gashed here was in the running game. Marlon Mack had 14 carries for 109 yards before and a touchdown, but before going down with injury. And then um, the other one, in fact, J- Jonathan Williams goes for 13 carries, 116 yards on that end. So not really much to speak on on the passing game. Jacoby Brissett, they're wondering how he was going to react and adapt coming back from injury. He didn't really have to. The running game did pretty much everything everything else, and he had a pretty laid-back day. So, gentlemen, we'll start with the good, at least to start off on a positive note. Um, um, you, you did put out that uh, article, um, I believe, yesterday, Jay. So what were the positives to take away from this game? You had to dig. You didn't have to dig too deep, but uh, yeah. What, what were your takeaways? Yeah, the good was, uh, you know, and albeit the front seven just got beat up in the run game, as you said. The good was, uh, in terms of pass rushers, Yannick and Gakwe, who I put in the article, and I I didn't really mention Josh Allen, but I did make mention that the the edge play, in you know, in terms of getting to the quarterback was good. Uh, so yeah, Josh Allen as well. So, you know, we got a glimpse of. As bad as that game was and as hard as, you know, it, it kind of was to find takeaways from it, especially when getting beat in that capacity, uh, they did stand out. And, you know, they further make the case. You know, a lot of people have said, oh, we got Josh Allen. We don't need to pay um, Yannick and Gakwe. Uh, I've seen that often on Facebook on the, the pay Yan type of articles that we put out. And my, you know, my combat to that has always been this is 
instead the perfect time to pay Yannick Ngakwe with Josh Allen being relatively cheap. And not only that, you're getting great production out of him while he's relatively cheap. You know, that that leaves money available at the defensive end position to give to Yannick Ngakwe. So it's, in my opinion, it's not a better time to pay him. So that being said, those two as a duo have been very, very good. And, and you could throw Calais Campbell in there if you want to say trio. Uh, but uh, anyway, when you look at all of these articles you see on the web, you see Nick Bosa getting all of this praise for being a defensive rookie of the year candidate. And they kind of don't mention Josh Allen and he kind of gets swept under the rug in these conversations with the fact that the matter is at least as of uh, when we played the Texans, he pretty much was better than uh, Bosa in most of the major categories except for, I think Bosa had like a forced fumble return for a touchdown, but Josh Allen, has strongly made a case to be defensive rookie of the year. Just as Gardner Minshew had uh, for for offensive rookie of the year. And I kind of talked about that on the Jets uh, podcast that I was on last month. But all of that said, yeah, that was my uh, most positive takeaway. Uh, and, and we'll talk about the other positive takeaway later. But that was my most positive takeaway from it was how they look together. And Leannick and Gakwe further making a case for them to pay him and uh, or the next front office to pay him or whatever the case may be and uh, remain a Jacksonville Jaguar. Yes. You mentioned an interesting part, though, that the Jags really were and well, are on pace to have both rookie of the years on the offensive side of the ball and the defensive side because Josh Allen, like you said, has had a heck of a year. Unfortunately, the team has stunk and nobody has paid attention to Josh Allen as a whole. That's just unfortunately how the cookie crumbles. And when they were paying attention to Jacksonville, we were all fascinated by Gardner Minshew and his mustache. Glorious mustache. <laughs> right, right. By the way, Josh at- Allen is at, uh, what is it, eight sacks now. So, you know, he's I online. So, yes. Josh Allen watched. Yeah, Jay, <laughs> for, for those of you who do not remember, Jay predicted that he would have at least 10 sacks. And we are uh, 10 games in, and he's at eight. So it's looking pretty good, barring some kind of disaster. But... It's looking looking good, but yeah, Josh Allen. I mean, they he's he's having just as good a year as as Bosa. So it is frustrating, I'm sure, for not only him but also the fan base that he's not getting the the recognition that uh, that he deserves on that end for sure. He's on the Pro Bowl ballot, by the way, for those who want to vote and make Ooh. a statement. <laughs> Speaking of Bosa, Bosa got flatlined by Larry Fitzgerald yesterday, and I cannot stop laughing at the clip. And I need to oh, find I it. Watch that, but um. As far as the good goes, you mentioned Allen and the defense. Offensively, we looked good for a while. Yeah. I mean, DJ Chark is continuing to grow in his sophomore year. He's really starting to emerge like he can be a true number one receiver because he put up eight for 104. He had the two touchdowns. He averaged 13 a catch. He may be Foles' favorite target, which if you watch Foles in Philly, Foles does kind of lean toward a bigger receiver. Other than that, I don't have too too much good, really. Foles survived the game. He looked relatively <laughs> solid in the first half. You can see 33-47. It wasn't the best numbers all in all. But at one point, but when you get into the third quarter and the Colts put up two touchdowns in the third and they're starting to run away with it, you kind of have to throw the ball. Yeah, as you mentioned, I, I was going to save the uh, other part of my good, but yeah, I'll, I'll talk about Chark, who, again, that's another guy that I was 
kind of praising in the offseason that would have good numbers and, and do good things. And, I mean, I'm, I'm glad he's he's like – the thing about it is not only is he doing it, uh, it t- to how I expected it, but yesterday he did it against a pretty good Colts defense in terms of the pass. You know, they I think they were ninth against the pass. So, you know, he's putting, again, he's putting up some quality games against quality opponents – uh, when you look at it, I, I think I have to look at the other games he's had 100 yards in, but he only has two other 100-yard games in totality. But in some way, shape, or form, he's impacted the game uh, with some kind of, of clutch reception, a big-time reception, or the team's longest reception for that game. And, uh, yeah, he's only going to grow and get better. And, uh, you know, the more and more he's with Nick Foles, the more and more he'll get confidence. Or, you know, Gardner Minshew, he flourished with him as well. So all of that said – was very impressed with what he did, and uh, he's a guy that I cannot wait to see. Uh, despite how gloomy this season looks, he's a guy that uh, kind of puts a little bit of sunshine on the, the remainder of the season, if you will. Yeah, at least we're getting production out of, out of DJ, and you know he's quickly becoming a uh, a fan favorite out there as well. So uh, yeah, I mean at least a couple positives, and from the young players, and, and just to kind of touch on what you said as far as. Uh, people saying you know we don't need josh why you know we don't we don't need yan you know we don't need to pay yan we have josh why wouldn't you want both clay's campbell's not going to be here forever you know what i mean like <laughs> right. i mean what why wouldn't you want both like two of the top young defensive ends in the league I just, that, yeah. that, and i mean that logic like, makes no sense people have shown i mean like this is you know it ain't it ain't rocket science teams have shown you need pass rushers in waves you don't you can't no right. team gets it done with one pass rusher. And, right. you know, all the Tom Coughlin enthusiasts out there that want to always quick, quickly point out what Tom Coughlin has done as a coach, they should know that more than anybody. Because when you look at Tom Coughlin's tenure, while, yeah, they played some good offensive football with the New York Giants when they won those Super Bowls, a lot of that was also because of what he had at the pass rushing positions, at defensive tackle, at, at defensive end, Justin Tuck, uh, wasn't it Chris uh, Strahan at the end? Yeah, Strahan. Like that, uh, that first win. Right, right. That first win against the Patriots. Uh, you know, they the defense, especially the defensive line, came up big for them at the end of the game in sacking mm-hmm. Tom Brady. Tom Brady's still around, by the way, and that is what you need to beat him is pass rushes and waves. Yeah, so you know, just re, re you know, I, I respect your opinion. It's wrong, but uh, rethink that stance. So yeah, but we'll uh, move on uh, to unfortunately the bad and the ugly in this thing, and um, you know, plenty to <laughs> plenty to dig into there. So uh, so Jay, wh- where do you want to start here? As far as just, I mean, the whole, almost the whole thing was ugly pretty much after that first <laughs> touchdown. So where, wherever you want to start. <laughs> oh man, where where do we start? Uh, the run game, the run game, man. It was. It was, you know, I tweeted it during the game. Like, you know, Todd Wash got to be feeling some warmth on his seat if it ain't hot by now uh, after that performance because it continues, <clears throat> excuse me, it continues to happen, y'all. And we've, you know, we saw it against the Panthers where, yeah, granted, you know, Christian McCaffrey makes a lot of people look bad. <laughs> but we've seen it against the Panthers. We saw it against uh, some other teams that's escaping my, uh, the Texans in uh, London, and now we're seeing it again. So it's a reoccurring thing. And, you know, they'll they'll have spurts where they clamp down on a run. But, again, this goes back to kind of what I said in the, the episode we haven't released yet about 
uh, Shahad Khan's comments to London, uh, a lot of those times where they clamp down against the run are against teams that aren't that good. The Cincinnati Bengals, uh, the New York Jets, who aren't good offensively, I'll say that. So, that being said, they've stacked up a lot of good games defensively as well against a lot of teams that aren't that good. But, um, yeah, in terms of Todd Watchman, I I felt before the season that Doug Marone should have made the decision to part ways with him. Uh, But, you know, with Doug Marone's basically uh, with, you know, we'll kind of talk about this a little bit later, Doug Marone being on the hot seat as well. Uh, with Doug Marone seat getting warmer and, you know, he it's coming a time where he's going to have to start worrying about his job from a week to week perspective. He can't continue to keep Todd Wash on the team and these type of performances keep happening uh, with this much talent as well. Like, that's the thing about it. Yeah, I'm, I know they lost Marcel Darius, uh, but still, they have enough talent to where they shouldn't be getting mollywopped like they are. And quite frankly, it's getting concerning. Yeah, that basically is the bad is the run defense. And like you said, it's not good when you face a premier team or a team that is relatively solid or competent. Like the Colts, like the Texans, you're going to get ran over. And for a front seven that features the likes of Josh Allen, Calais Campbell, Darius when we had him, Smoot, uh, Tavern, Yannick, you shouldn't be getting diced through like a hot knife through butter. But yet, it's happening. You can say that. Well, they have to make plays. Yeah, but you also have to put somebody in a position to make plays. So if I'm Doug Marone, I would be looking very much at Todd Wash this week being just look at him and just point to my wrist and tap it. Be like, hey, you're on the clock, buddy, because one of us are going to get fired. And if I have a chance, it's going to be you before me. It's really like Willie Taggart at Florida State. Your defense is not producing, and you know everybody is starting to call for your head or has been calling for your head, which is the case with Marone as well. And even you know, I might not survive to next year. I got to do something that shows them I'm at least awake at the will. Ty Wash might have to be the one following the sword first. I don't think it'll happen. I think what will end up eventually happening is that whole coaching staff will be gone at the end, and that kind of takes us to the ugly. No, Jay? Yeah, and one more thing, like, I want to say is, like, you know, and I was guilty of this earlier in the season, but I've I've been slapped in the face with reality. And a lot of people, you know, I often see people refer to the Jaguars as elite defense. That is no longer the case. That hasn't been the case for a very long time. The Jaguars aren't an elite defense. In fact, the Jaguars may have a lot of elite players, but they're not playing on the elite levels. So, you know, that speaks volumes about who's coaching them. When you have that kind of talent and uh, you're you're not getting it done in terms of uh, what, what the team expects for you defensively. Uh, but, yeah, uh, what was the other question, Jacob? Uh, that was it. We just wrapped up the bad, and I think we're going to just lead into the ugly, which is Doug Marone and the coaching staff and basically the whole non-football field side of things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, you know, following another bad loss, uh, of course, we had uh, the debacle in London and now here getting blown out by another division rival. And essentially, of course, mathematically, they're not eliminated. Um, but as I put in, in my uh, in my game predictions for, for this one, uh, you know, I think it's just time for 
Jaguar fans to be just a little real, realistic and, and just you know tone down their expectations for this team because they're just not very good, guys. Honest, I mean that's that's really all there is to it. And you know what do you think? You know after after this loss, you know two straight bad losses to division rivals. You know what does this mean for the front office? Jay, you and I kind of talked about it just a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. after the game, and, you know, us personally, we want the team to be as below 500 as possible. That way we can get new guys in here. But what do right. you think it means for this front office? Jacob, you touched a little bit on Todd Wash probably not being, um, not probably not surviving this run. But uh, overall, from the front office, what what does this loss mean for them? Uh, Well, I guess, you know, the true answer to that is time will tell. But I, And I'm going to do an article on this Uh probably today I'm going to try to at least, but uh, I basically I feel like, and I, this was one of my takes after the game on Twitter. I feel like uh, this game told Shad Khan that it needed uh, everything that he needed to know uh, f- from this point. It should not matter what the team does. Uh, even if they go to the playoffs, because we seen Mike Malarkey go to the playoffs and get fired too. And I can understand why the Titans did that. So that being said, from this point on, this game should have told Shad Khan that everything he needs to know about what needs to be done in the future. Now, sure, I get it. He probably don't want to fire people now. And I'm not saying he's going to fire people. In fact, we've already said in the unreleased episode that we believe he'll keep guys around. But the fact of the matter is, when you look at this game, the fashion in which they got beat, uh, you know, that's that speaks volumes. That's the report card, so to speak, for uh, the coaching staff, if you will. But when you look at the team's resume in terms of the total season and the record they have and who they've beaten, that tells you from the perspective if you have the right people in the front office. Again, in the unreleased episode, we talked about all of the Jags' wins have pretty much come against very, very poor teams, except for the Tennessee Titans, who are basically the – if you look up the definition of mediocrity in the dictionary, the picture of the Tennessee Titans would be there basically. So they're really mediocre as well. And you I mean, like when you know an opponent that well, you are supposed to have some success against them to a degree, which is why it's frustrating to get swept by the, the Texans as we have this year. But when you look at the, the Jags resume in terms of their full season, and I know Nick Foles was out. I'll talk about that a little bit later. The wins they have aren't that significant. So that should tell Shot Khan all he needs to know about what needs to be done in the future in terms of getting the right people in here. Now, again, we got to see what the results are when all of this is over with. But if I'm shot kind of already pretty much, you know, in my opinion, I don't, I'm not saying that he has, I pretty much, I pretty much came to grips that this isn't the right front office. And of course, you know, this isn't the right coaching staff. And, you know, that that's not even a knock on Doug. Like I don't, Doug is the one that deserves to be the least criticized of all of this to be, in my opinion, because he's been put in some bad situations by the front office. And, you know, somehow he's got the locker room to dial in and to get them to this point. Uh, but I definitely think some changes do need to be made at the end of the season. I could care less about what happens in terms of altering that. I could care less about uh, what transpires in terms of the rest of the season. Because this loss, especially to get beat by the Colts in this fashion and uh, the other losses that we have, uh, tells us all we need to know going forward. Um, yeah, if I'm Shad Khan, I'm walking into the building today. I'm sitting here. I'm going to grab a cup of coffee. I'm going to say hi to the intern. I'm going to speak to the desk lady. I'm going to walk up to my office. I'm going to take a seat in my uh, nice comfy chair. 
I'm gonna spin around. I'm gonna look at whatever I got, whatever kind of view I have. I'm gonna look Jared at my is watch. Probably gold, by the way. All gold. <laughs> I'm gonna look at my watch. I'm gonna be like, all right, Coughlin should be in his office in about 15 minutes. Marone should be here in about 30. All right, I'm gonna start walking about an hour, and I'm handing out pink slips to everybody. <laughs> like you said, it's embarrassing to lose like this against a division rival. I understand it wasn't at home, and it's like, oh, we got, we're getting our quarterback back, we're getting our eighty million dollar man back. Yeah, right. you go get blown out by with your eighty dollar, your eighty million dollar man. And like you said, the wins this year have not been that good of wins and the losses. Yeah, you can spin them however you want to spin them, but it, point remains, you still have all these losses. And since 2017, you've done nothing but revert back to who you were in 2016. So that says 2017 is an outlier. It's not the normal, and it, or it's not a standard that this regime can keep up. So everybody got to go. I don't care if it's week, what are we in, 11 right now? 12 now. Well, yeah, it's still week 11. Cause yeah, still week 11. Off. Yeah, we're still yeah. week 11. We just finished week 11. We're 4 and 6. We're going into week 12. Fire everybody, because you know what will happen? This team will do the most Jaguar thing possible and find a way to go 9-7 and seven or 8-8, eight and eight, and you're going to get yourself a number 15 pick in the draft when you really need to be picking in the top 10, top 5 if possible. So just fire everybody. Just sandbag it. The season's a wash. Or better yet, or worse yet, I guess I should say, you'll find a way to backdoor into the playoffs somehow. Yeah, another thing about it is like, like I said, I was going to kind of touch on the foal situation. I know a lot of people go back to the foal situation and say, hey, uh, maybe they should be given a chance, at least the front office, Tom Coughlin and company, because of uh, Foles' injury. And again, in the unreleased episode, which we're going to release about Shad Khan and the London statements, I, I went to this. The Jacksonville Jaguars should have never signed Nick Foles, knowing, granted his history with injuries, not at least to that contract. So they willingly signed somebody who was injury prone. And again, it, we've seen Tom Coughlin. We grew up Jags fans, at least me and Phil did. And one thing Tom Coughlin has teached or, or preached throughout his tenure is availability, staying healthy. And then you go and do the total opposite of what you've stood for all of this time. Sign somebody who's injury prone. It bites you in the behind. That still should cost you your job because you willingly signed somebody who you knew probably wasn't going to be available for all of the season. Now, granted, nobody knew he was going to get hurt in the second series and, and, and of the season. And it, you know, and missed like eight games. Nobody knew that. But again, I, I feel like, you know, these are the kind of things that Shad Khan should these are the kind of conversations Shad Khan should have before a decision is made of that magnitude. You sign a quarterback of that magnitude to a a uh, a lot of money of that degree. It's like, hey, okay, we're signing this man to a lot of money, okay? If this doesn't work and he gets injured, as history has shown he could be, and he's a great guy, by the way, Nick Foles is, but if he gets injured, uh, this doesn't save your season. This is Ultimately, this is your fault because you knew the situation going into to this season about his injury pass. And not only that, they signed him with what baffles me. They signed an injury-prone quarterback after the season they had in 2018, which was played with injuries. So, if anything, 2018 was a teacher of what not to do in 2019, and they still didn't sign an injury-prone quarterback to a team that had previously had a lot of injuries that had hampered them in 2018. 
you know, that is a sign that the right decisions aren't being made in the front office. And that is why I feel like, you know, Nick Foles injury shouldn't save them. And on the divisional thing, as you were saying, Jacob, yeah, not only that, they haven't done good in terms of the, and what that's what matters the most. They haven't done well in terms of the divisional games. They've only beaten the Titans, got swept by the Colts, or I'm sorry, um, got swept by the Texans. Probably will get swept by the Titans, if we being honest. And uh, I would say the Colts probably would, unless the Colts don't have anything to play for on the last week, because we played them on week 16 or 17 or whatever it is. But that being said, I think the divisional record is going to speak for itself. Um. Yeah, basically... Kind of to relate this back to Florida State and Willie Taggart. Willie Taggart went 0-5 in his year and a half against the rivals Clemson, Florida, and Miami. And they got that man out of the door. The Jags cannot beat anybody other than the tech, other than the Titans, that it seems. Like, every so often they'll still win against the Texans. But it's like, you got to do better. Because right. let's just look at this record real quick. Because I wanted to see how bad these losses were. Week and by one, the, way, the Titans are going through something too, so that shouldn't count for nothing, right? <laughs> exactly. Week one, you lose at home to the Chiefs, forty to twenty-six. That's the game where, like Jay just said, Foles breaks his collarbone halfway through the first quarter. I think it was the second offensive series. I remember seeing the hit live and seeing Foles go down, and I was like, "He's done. That's a broken collarbone." Sure enough, he's out. Week two. You have the debut of Gardner Minshew as a starter. You lose 13-12 to 12 because you call the most confusing two-point conversion play with like 30 seconds left when you should have kicked it and went to overtime. So that's one strike against you, Marone. All right, week three, on a short week, you beat the Titans on Thursday night football, 20-7, whatever. Remember week two was also the start of all the Jalen stuff. Yep, that is also where Marone and Jalen got into it. And like Ramsey has said, since then, it wasn't so much the issue with Marone that caused him to want to leave. It's what followed with Coughlin after. And Marone even said, me and Jalen talked about it. We were fine afterwards. It was a heat of the moment type thing. Mm-hmm. Week four, you go to Mile High. You play the Broncos. They run wild over you. You escape with a last-second field goal to beat them 26-24. to all right, you come back east, you go to Carolina, you face the Panthers, you lose 34-27. to 27. All right. Playoff contenders, by the way. Yep, and they're looking pretty good without Cam Newton. Mm-hmm. So we come back home the next week, we get Teddy Bridgewater and the Saints. Not Drew Brees and the Saints, Teddy Bridgewater. I love Teddy Bridgewater. He should have came to Jag, should have reached out to try to make some kind of deal to get him when he left Minnesota. Neither here nor there. Bridgewater beats the Jags 13-6. Okay, cool. What do the Jags do? They go to Cincy. They beat the Bengals. If I'm not mistaken, the Bengals are still winless and still look horrible and still look a mess. Worst team in the league, right? Correct. All right. So it's like, cool. We got one. The next week, you get the Jets coming to town. This is a week after Sam Darnold was seeing Ghost. Looks like Sam Darnold saw more ghosts in Jacksonville. Le'Veon Bell couldn't get anything going. You beat the Jets. The Jets are abysmal on offense. Like I mm-hmm. do believe they may have the worst offense in the league to actually watch. Maybe the like the worst two game winning streak ever. Like people got so excited over a, a win streak against Cincinnati and the Jets. Yeah, you. yeah, yeah. And this is yeah, like I mean, and that's not to say they shouldn't have been excited. Like winning is ultimately fun, you know. But I think what Phil is trying to say is like. We always said, like, yeah, 
we will take this win against Cincinnati. We will take this win against the Jets happily. But it does. It, what matters is what when we when we play these primetime teams, these playoff teams. What do we do then? Yeah, that Bengals game was ugly too. The final score is twenty-seven to seventeen, but that game was ugly for yep. a while. Yeah, that fourth quarter defined the game. Actually, you know that was the. You know, before that, it wasn't pretty at all. But it wasn't a lot to be happy about with the Jazz performance, aside from that fourth quarter. And then two weeks ago, you go across the pond, you go to your home away from home, you go to Wembley, you see Deshaun Watson, and Deshaun Watson basically lit you up like a Christmas tree. <laughs> and you lose 26-3, to and I feel like it wasn't as close as the score makes it seem. You get your bye week, you come back stateside, you rest, you get prepared, and then you go to Indy yesterday, and you get blown out the water, you give up, what was it, almost 300 yards on the ground? Yes, nearly, or maybe more. Yeah, it just looks bad. This week, you get the Titans in Tennessee, then you have the Buccaneers at home, then you have the Chargers at home. You go to Oakland, who surprisingly looks competent and decent this year. And then you go to Atlanta, you finish with the Colts. Sandbag it. Actually, you don't even have to sandbag it. Just the way this team has been playing, they've been so up and down in Jekyll and Hyde. They'll probably beat the Titans. They'll probably beat the Bucks because both of those teams can't figure themselves out or get out of their own way when it matters. Phillip Rivers will probably light them up. The Raiders game is a toss-up. Depending upon which Falcons team wants to show up, that's a toss-up. <laughs> yep. And then the Colts, like you said, Jay, week 17. The Colts might not have nothing to play for. They may have secured the wild card or the division, and they're like, well, They're Look. division leaders right now. Yeah, so they're like, look, you know what? We got playoffs to think about. We might play Brissett and them for maybe a quarter. At that point, it's a wash. So just pack it in. It's not a good year. Your best bet is to go 6-10 and 10 and hope that gets you in the top 12, top 10 picking this year. And you've got to figure hope the out. Rams tank with us, too, by the way, for that pick we got. <laughs> yeah. Hope, hope they continue the path that they are on. Even though they won last night, it still went pretty. And that team is very, very overrated. Are, are they just have the hangover like the Falcons? You just have a Super Bowl hangover. But you just got to pack this season in because what is there to – what is there to gain? Because, like I said, if you get to the playoffs, you're likely to get bounced. I don't think this this isn't the same team for 2017. They can't go on a run like that. I just don't see it happening. And then if you get into the playoffs, Khan might pick his head up and be like, huh, I guess the wheels are turning. Look there. We had a down year last year. Now look at us this year. We're right back where we should be. And here we are for another four more years of this. You, at some point, Khan has to realize this is not working out. I'm putting out a subpar product, and unlike in Europe and unlike with soccer, I can't put out a subpar product and continue to rake in money and be in the black. I have to make a profit here, so something's got to change. Coughlin was supposed to be a savior when he comes back. All Coughlin has done was give us a horrible Blake Bortles contract and give us a horrible Nick Foles contract when nobody else was bidding for Nick Foles. You outbid yourself. And he ran Jalen Ramsey out of town. Yeah, and then you got rid of a top five corner. I'm sorry, a top five player in the league. Arguably the best corner in the league right up there with Gilmore and Patrick Chung. And you can argue a couple other people. Like, what has Coughlin done other than pick this roster apart and handcuff you? I mean, you? Are you, 
you could like make the argument like looking at how some of his picks have played now you can make the argument that he's made some good picks but my combat to that has always been Ooh. what does it matter if you're not going to resign him you know Ooh. so what i mean pick? i mean but you look yeah i mean you, i mean look at it like uh damn you're right actually I mean, God. <laughs> but no no i mean like <laughs> the, late, robinson, the later round picks have been have been right I mean, yeah Ken robinson was playing okay Okay, let, uh, hold yep, on. let's just Jan be fair. And Didi. Well, well, Jan isn't his pick. That was Caldwell's pick. But oh, again, yeah. my my comeback to that is what does it matter? And especially, well, by the way, the um the Taven Bryan and DJ Chark picks are looking better now, especially with how they're playing. But it none of that matters if you're not going to resign those guys in the end. Oh yeah, and Josh Allen too. So right, that was so that. Hit, well, Josh Allen fell to them. Like, I yeah, mean, like, yeah, I don't yeah. Think... That's fair. That's fair. There's no way you. I mean, but Gardner up. too, though. Gardner too. Even though we you, we've on, we're on record for saying they didn't expect that out of him. They were just hoping right. for a backup at best. Yeah. All right. So let's look at these picks real quick. DJ Chark, sure, he's panning out. He's a receiver. You need that year adjustment. Okay, no problem. Fournette, I still don't like that pick when you have Dalvin Cook running wild in Minnesota and who's also in the MVP conversation. Still not crazy. But about let's Fournette. let's give him a bone on that. I'm not either. We'll give him a okay, bone on okay. that. We'll, we'll, we'll call that a bone on it. We'll, we'll say that's fine. Whatever. We'll be fair here. D.D. Westbrook, he fell to you because of his off the field issues. That's the only right. reason he was there in the third round. Shouldn't have been. So let's just call that. You got lucky there. Minshew, mm-hmm. like you just said, you were expecting a backup. You knew he had a football mind, but you didn't think he could play like this at this level. You got lucky. Everything else has been. Yeah, and the Tavern pick. Here's the problem with that pick. At that point, you had Lamar Jackson sitting on the board. You needed a quarterback, mm-hmm. and you already have Leonard Fournette, and you kind of already wanted to do like this little whole RPO read option type offense where you have multiple looks and threats in the with the ball in a quarterback's hand. I hate to say this because it's going to make me sound like Bill Poley and like I'm saying Lamar's just a runner and just a receiver, but you have arguably the most electric player at the quarterback position since Michael Vick. Right. MVP candidate right now. Because RG is the MVP right now. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I say Russ. Since Russ and RG3, because Russ was undersized. Another guy we passed on, by the way. Yeah. Russ was undersized. (laughs) Before Coughlin. <laughs> Before Coughlin, but, but still, still, yeah. still happened. Yeah, but it's like Russ undersized, so you can understand. RG three has track speed. He's just not elusive. So Russ isn't that fast. He's kind of just elusive and shifty. That's why I say Vic. And it's like, what are you doing? You know, you needed a quarterback because you knew at that point in time you weren't sold on Blake Bortles. Mm-hmm. And you go and get another defensive lineman while he is finally starting to pan out this year. Look at your D line. Right. What what I need one more for? That's like me having a, a garage full of Bentleys, and I just go buy another one because I'm bored on a Tuesday. Like it makes no right. sense in the grand scheme. Of and things. I think part of that was uh, I think T Wig talked on this. That's when we had Malik Jackson. And this is not excusing it, but just to give a, a like a general idea of what they were thinking. So on locked on Jazz, T Wig was saying that uh, he believes, or he had heard, or something to that degree that. They they got Taven Bryan to uh, be the successor at defensive end for Calais Campbell, so Calais Campbell could move into the three technique at defensive tackle, where he's the most dominant at. And they could basically, you know, they'll have a plan uh, to get rid of Malik Jackson, who was the three technique at the time. And you know, basically, that would be, you know, their way to move on for life 
uh, pass Malik Jackson and get him off of their books because he was a big cap hit. But that still don't excuse it. And by the way, Taven Bryan, I'll be on record for saying he looks like a starter to me right now. But still, when it came at the expense of passing on the MVP of the league right now, you know, that doesn't, you know, that, that makes it look bad in itself. So, yeah, and that's what I say. Here's my final point with Coughlin. Everybody's saying he's this great evaluator and so forth. Look at what he's missed on Deshaun Watson, Dalvin Cook, right. Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson. You missed on three quarterbacks. Three top 10 caliber quarterbacks for a team that has always been, quote unquote, a quarterback away in the past four years or so. You got to clean house, Con. You you just have to, at this point, cut your mm-hmm. losses, open up the checkbook, pay them out, send them on about their married day. And Doug Marone, great person, great guy, he... Got dealt a crap hand, unfortunately. Yeah, probably a good coach. Probably. Yeah, but. he solid coach, probably, but your front office did mm-hmm. you no favors. Right, right. So right. if you clean front office, a new regime's gonna come in, and nine times out of ten, everybody gotta go. Mm-hmm. I don't care if you just walked through the door two days ago. You gotta go, buddy. And I'll leave on this note. Thirty six and eighty six. Y'all know what that number is? <laughs> Feel uh, free to share it with me. That's not a good winning record, I'll tell you that. <laughs> 36 and 86 is Shad Khan's record since becoming our owner. Yet, you know, we have, you know, these questions about the attendance and viability coming up, uh, nonetheless, which we, again, will talk about in the, or you'll hear about in the unreleased episode. Uh, quite frankly, you know, you can't make those comments that you made about viability, about the attendance, and keep these guys around after that. You just can't. So, in a, in a way, you wrote a check for those guys when you made those comments. And anything aside from firing them is unacceptable at this point, even if they, they win 10 games. The games that are coming up are against not-so-very-good teams, aside from probably the Raiders. And then the Colts may not have nothing to play for at that point. So the season has already, you know, the it speaks for itself. It's already, it's nothing that, you know, further evaluating the next few games and what comes from that. It, it really doesn't do you any good because they're coming against bad teams. And like I said, the teams that they play that are good uh, may not have nothing to play for. So there's that. It's a garage sale, baby. Everything got to go. Yeah, and for those of y'all who have not yet listened to what we had to say in terms of Shad Khan's comments, I definitely encourage you guys uh, to do so um, because you know just this was just a little sample size of it. But uh, yeah, totally agree with you guys. Just clean house. But Jay, I mean, you can probably speak on this as well. I mean, this is just a franchise though that has a history of making changes a year too late. Remember they held held on to Gus Bradley a little bit too mm-hmm. long. Um, what was the uh, Gene Smith? They held on for one year too long. So I'm just right. hoping that's not the case here. And like we said. Doug Marone might be a great coach, and he might be a, a solid leader. But you know, when it comes down to just the, the, you're looking at the numbers, they speak for themselves. And you know, it's it's just time it's time for a change. I know I know this fan base is just so desperate for a, for a winner, and you saw how how they turned out in 2017. We're capable of doing that all the time. They are they're a great fan base. But right. when you just put up put out a product like this consistently every year and we get one you know we get a winner once every 10 seasons 
then yeah, people are going to start doing other stuff. You know, we're going to start doing other things with our day because they don't be. I I told you this yesterday. I as watch, watching that game yesterday, I was just numb to it, honestly, because it was just more of the same. And that's why it just doesn't bother me right now because I know what to expect because we are who we are, and it's you know I, it's just tough to watch and especially yeah, yeah. from a, a fan base I know that is just ready to no longer be the laughing stock of of the league and you know I mean one thing you can take away at least we're not the Browns I guess is the one thing <laughs> you can tell people uh, because they got their own set of things going on but I mean it's it's getting tougher and tougher to watch every week. Um, and you're gonna get to the point where people just don't care anymore. That's what's gonna happen next. So they gotta figure it out soon. Even if Shad Khan hypothetically wants to move the team, what it will always come back to is like when you move that product, do you are you putting putting a uh, a product that's worth watching on the field for the next fan base to watch? So this is something that I don't know how he sees it, but even if he wanted to move, and I'm not saying he does, but even if he wanted to move, okay, the next part of it is, yeah, you get a shiny new stadium uh, because we all know cities are willing to offer crazy amounts of money uh, to have stadiums built and to bring teams to their city. But how long will that fan base support? And we're kind of seeing it with the Rams. And with the Rams, is more so it's just a lot to do in L.A. And that, that was just a wrong move. Well, the Chargers itself. is the example there. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what I mean. Yeah, the Chargers. Yeah, I was gonna say the Rams just have a problem that they play in the Coliseum and it holds like ninety five thousand right. people. Right. So when yeah, you the, have the 70, Chargers 000, can't. I don't, I don't know who those fans are that are rooting for the Chargers, but but right. they're not filling that stadium with Chargers fans. I'll tell you that. So yeah, I said all of that to say this. You know, like regardless of you know relocation or you know getting you a new stadium, you know in, in time it will always come back to. You know, is this worth watching? Yeah, you might have that initial uh, blast of fans when you initially relocate or whatever the case may be. Or, you know, maybe the NFL needs to tone it down with relocation, by the way, because we're, we're seeing, like we just said, the examples we just made that sometimes, you know, these ideas by Roger Goodell and the lead to relocate don't work out. Nobody ever thought of that. But uh, I guess that is another story for another time. Yeah, just a quick tidbit on that. The Chargers relocation wasn't so much of a, oh, we want to get out of here. It was a, we pit ourselves against the city of San Diego, and they were like, okay, jump. And then you had no choice but to jump. They kind of played themselves. The Rams was just like, oh, no, we're relocating. Like, bye, St. Louis. I don't care about you. Well, yeah, guys, just something that we will continue to monitor, you know, as the weeks go by and... Hopefully they can they can pull it a win. You know we will um, just briefly briefly look ahead here in uh, in the schedule. Um, you know they fall to four and six. Like I said, they're still mathematically <laughs> still mathematically eligible for the playoffs, but I, I don't think it's going to happen. We do have the Titans coming up next, which will be the second meeting. You know the first meeting was really the coming out party for kind of Minshew Mania on that Thursday night football game. Um, they do have a, uh, a matchup in Nashville against Tennessee. You know, what do we see? Like like we said earlier, Jay, uh, you know, Tennessee's got its own problems going on. Um, but uh, they did just beat the Chiefs a couple weeks ago. So I don't know what's going on with it. They, like I, I think I said this in the episode about Shot Khan is that the Titans are the really just kind of the poster child for eight and eight and, and just mediocrity, it seems, in, at least in the last decade. Um, but what do you what do you see in time, terms of early 
keys to victory. We might speak on this a little bit later on the week, but uh, what do you guys see uh, happening in this Titans game? Do you really want the team to win based off what we've talked about today? But what, what do you see happening in Nashville this Sunday? Yeah, to answer that question, I kind of do not at this point because we know the you know the playoffs aren't you know something that's going to happen basically. So at this point, you might as well get as close uh, to a you know a high draft pick as possible. And again, let's hope the Rams don't have a good season either, so we can have two high draft picks. Uh, but yeah, that being said, um, and, and again, like we we need the record to to speak for itself in terms of not giving shot cons and any excuses to keep the people that he has currently. But in terms of the game itself, uh, what needs to happen? I mean, you look, you go back to that game week three. It was uh, the primetime game. Uh, the, a lot of why the Jaguars flourished was because uh, they they got to the quarterback who was Marcus Mariota at the time. Granted, they moved on to Ryan Tannehill now. Uh, Ryan Tannehill's playing, giving them better play out of the quarterback position, by the way. But um, a lot of why they wanted was because they got to the quarterback. Of course, that's a given. That's what they need to do. But I think more so they won that game because they stopped Derrick Henry, who has traditionally uh, been a thorn in their foot. And I, they, they did excellent in terms of uh, – uh, that was one of the games where they actually – look good against the run and against a, a team that is very good at running the ball. So they need to do that again. That's what they uh, ultimately is going to come down to is how do they stop Derrick Henry from running wild on him like he did in 2018. And then on the other side, of course, they have to run the ball better. They have to get Leonard Fournette more involved heading forward. I know they've strayed away from the run these last two weeks or their last two games, should I say, and uh, that has to change. That has because it's starting to look like. And I think John DeFilippo is a good coordinator. He's just not uh, living to his potential right now. But it's looking like he is going back to what got him fired with Mike Zimmer in a way. <laughs> you know, it's funny, right? But and the crazy thing about it is, like, it looked like he had learned his lesson because Leonard Fournette was the top AFC rusher in football two weeks ago, and now he's just abandoned the guy. So that's just just odd to say the least. Uh, but he has to get back to Leonard Fournette because Leonard Fournette is what made him successful so far. Um, yeah, basically this game with the Titans is literally the definition of a toss-up because both teams are Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. You don't know who's showing up. You don't know if Fournette's going to run wild for a buck fifty, or if Foles is going to drop. 350 with four touchdowns on you. RF Foles is going to throw three picks and get injured with an elbow injury because he banked his elbow off of a lineman's helmet. RF Fournette's hamstring acts up. There's no clue what could happen in this game. And honestly, I I don't really have too much any of anything on it other than the best result, honestly, if you're thinking long-term, is a loss, like you said, better draft positioning, you should be able to get a better pick. If you want a quarterback, that gets you a little closer to maybe getting Herbert or whoever you want to choose. Or if you need to go get a lineman, offensive lineman. Or if you want to just trade that pick, the higher is always better. If you think it's short term, you're like, oh, we can still make the playoffs. And yeah, let's go beat the Titans so we can get to 97 and then get ran through by who? The Colts again? <laughs> Probably. So, yeah. yeah. Right, right. Hey, let me throw this question out for you guys here. So just uh, a couple of things. Jay, one one of the things I want to talk about is what you floated out there this weekend, what we were talking about on Saturday. But first question, mm-hmm. at what point 
the seed, you know, say we lose this game, then who do we play next? And I don't know. I mean, Jacob, I don't know if the Bucks game is a gimme because every like every four games, Jameis Winston decides uh, maybe I want to stick around. Again, he plays out of his mind, so I don't know if that's even. So say we lose, say we go in a little bit of a, you know extend this losing streak here. What point do they put Minshew back in? Do they at all because of the money they spent, or do you think they put him out back out there just to see what they've got in him? Uh, go ahead. Go Jay. ahead. Because I, I mean, I got, I kind of got to gather my thoughts. Anyway, <laughs> go ahead. Oh, okay. I would have never pulled Minshew because here's my thing: we were four and five. Mm-hmm. They had no business being four and five, honestly. Yeah, like you could say for better or worse, you should have had a better work record or you should have had a worse record. What well, the point is, you ended up at four and five. At best, you may have been seven and three, or seven and two, or six and three. At best, at worst, you should probably be two and seven, somewhere in that range. Either way, you somehow got to four and five with Gardner Minshew, and he was looking like the offensive rookie of the year. Nick Foles, like we've seemingly have harped on for this whole episode, is injury prone. It's no secret to me, no secret to you, no secret to anybody who knows anything about football. They know Nick Foles is one hit away from being on the sideline for three to four weeks. And here's the kicker again. You spent $80 million on this man. I hear Jay in the argument of, well, I just paid him $80 million. I need to go get something for my investment. I need to see him play. Nah, man. Oh, no, no, no. I wasn't making that argument. I wouldn't oh, mention Okay, that's what I was about to say. No, well, let me phrase oh, no, it. I... Let me phrase it. Fans have said you paid eighty million. You should <laughs> okay. play. Nah, 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 nah. This season is a wash. I got eighty million sold up in you. I need you for next year healthy. Let Minshew play. He ain't look like trash. Like we said, he probably could have won Offensive Rookie of the Year. Put him out there. And as far as what point, honestly, if we drop to four and eight, four and nine. Maybe four. I think it might have to be four and ten. It's when they decide to put Minshew out. But then again, if Foles is looking solid and we like barely lose those games, it's a field goal here, it's a touchdown here, it's two points here, it's ten here, and it's like, oh, these are close games. They'll probably play Foles all the way throughout the year. And I honestly feel like they may get Foles injured again. To be honest. Yeah. You know, like, knock on wood, we ain't even, you know, and I know Jacob wasn't saying this, we're not wishing injury on foes. And, again, we, we know he's a great guy and all of that. But we talk about from a football perspective. And while we're on it, actually, uh, you know, one thing that we did notice, or at least I noticed in that Indianapolis Colts game, is the elusiveness that the Jags lacked at the quarterback position with foes back there instead of men's shoot. And that was, that was one of the issues with how he played. Uh, it's, he simply wasn't elusive like Gardner was, in my opinion. And he had to make very awkward throws, uh, you know, sideways throws, uh, this, that, and the other. So, you know, that's what you get when you, you know what I'm saying? You replace Minshew, who's a guy that can, uh, you know, give you those crazy throws like we saw with the Denver Broncos and so on and so forth. And that's something Doug Marone's going to have to live with. Now, on the question that Phil asked, Doug Marone did say, if I'm not mistaken, in his last presser or the presser that they did after the game, that there are no plans to remove Foles from the starting lineup. Now, look, he can say that now, but things could change, especially if your job's on the line. And, uh, you know, we don't want Doug Marone to necessarily get fired. We don't never root for anybody to get removed uh, in Doug Marone's case. But, you know, hypothetically, Doug Marone could lose his job. And it's another coach uh that's on the staff currently 
uh, that's taking the reins from him. Maybe that coach wants to see Gardner Minshew, and maybe John Filippo wants to see, even though, you know, the argument is that Foles is his guy as well, but maybe he wants to see a change. Maybe that could play a role into it. But uh, in terms of at what point do we think we could see Foles in their field? That's a, that's a good question. So what, what do they have now? They're four and six, right? Yep. So Tennessee, Tampa Bay, and then San Diego, San Di- uh, LA, <laughs> LA. By yeah. San Diego, I would say, if Foles isn't clicking by San Diego, I think you could start to hear, you know, rumblings of that change being made. And uh, you know, they already struggle against San Diego. That might be the time to to do it again. Let's see if Foles isn't clicking. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm so I'm so sorry, y'all. I, I say that all the time, all the time, man. Don't but, feel uh, bad. Yeah. Even the Chargers players say San Diego. They don't want that's to be in L.A. Tr- nah. That's true. All right, and then the other question, you know, uh, and then we'll, then we'll wrap up here. Uh, just just to throw it out there, just for a little fun, uh, you know, because we suck. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Jay, you know, we, we saw the catastrophic injury, unfortunately, happen to Tua on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Is that a name that, you know, you get some new people in here? Um, you know, he, he's available late because if the, the, the way that things are going with our luck, the Rams are going to somehow sneak into the playoffs and we'll pick like 22 or something like that. <laughs> what do you, you know, what are you just tossing that out there? I want you, I want to have breaking news. James Johnson says this about Tua Tagovailoa <laughs> and the Jacksonville Jaguars. <laughs> right, right. So, so just if that guy's available. If anything, just to prevent him from go- to prevent him from going to the Patriots, uh, what, what do you think about you know him being you know that that being a guy they look at you know th- to possibly maybe develop since he's probably mm-hmm. not going to be available to play next year anyway. Yeah, going back and I think this was in the unreleased episode too. Is uh, me and you talked about the mock draft? I think it was from CBS Sports where we took Justin Herbert from Oregon. And it was a lot of comments, a lot of backlash on that one where people were like, oh, no, we're not going quarterback. And at the time, Gardner Minshew was starting and playing quite well. That was actually before the London game. And it wasn't necessarily that I was saying that Gardner Minshew hasn't played well and he he, he is in the future because I'm on record for saying that. Like, I believe, you know, there's a slight chance that he could be a, a franchise quarterback. But I, I received a lot of backlash for saying or countering that by saying, hey, a new front office could want a new quarterback. And again, I stand by that. It's funny that you asked that because that kind of correlates to this. And, and you know, Gardner Minshew is not the next regime's quarterback. And as good as he played, you know, like we've, we've seen it time and time again. History always repeats itself. When a new guy comes in, they want their guy, you know, and, and they, they could take a chance on Gardner Minshew. But my counter to that is also why not just attack the quarterback position as hard as you can? Yeah, we got a guy that could be a, fruit, a future quarterback for us in Gardner Minshew, but why stop there if it's the most important position on the field? You know, why not just make sure we get it right, get as many guys as we can here, let them compete, and let the chips fall where they may. So that being said, you know, if Tua, you know, and, and we wish him the best and wish him to get well soon, uh, if he falls – and we have a new regime, and he's he's there when we make a pick. You know, I I can I mean it. You know, of course it depends on how much they like him. Uh, but you know, this is a guy that a lot of draft pundits are high on. Uh, he he's coming from a team that's not necessarily good in terms of putting quarterbacks into the league. Uh, but he comes from that Nick 
Saban pedigree, if you will. And they put a lot of good professionals in the league in terms of defensively. Uh, you know, I, I would understand why a new regime would consider quarterback, uh, not necessarily issue, but consider taking a quarterback in the first round or early in the draft of next year if it's a new regime. Yeah, here's the thing with Tua. I talked to my brother earlier today about Tua. The injury that Tua suffered is essentially the same injury that Bo Jackson suffered. Right. Albeit this is basically 30 years later, medicine has advanced a lot. And my brother also mentioned C.J. Mosley had a very similar injury, not quite the same. Yep. So he could come back from it. That's not a problem. But the issue with Tua is how far is Tua going to fall? Do you take Tua in the third round if he's there? Probably, especially if it's a new regime. And my issue is it's different when it's a quarterback having a hip injury versus a linebacker. I understand the linebacker moves more lateral. You're moving every which way. But you initiate the contact as a linebacker 80, 80% of the time. You're the one leading to the contact. As a quarterback, you're getting hit. You have no control over where they hit you. So all it takes is one helmet to the hip, one drag down from behind where your knee gets underneath you, much like it happened this weekend. So there's that issue with Tua. But ignoring that, if Tua is sitting in my lap in the third round and I have a late third round pick, if he's sitting in my lap in the early third round and I'm looking at my roster and I go, okay, I got Nick Foles, I got Gardner Minshew, I don't really like Foles, and I wish I could get out from under this contract from the previous regime. You know what? Yeah, go ahead. Give me Tua because it becomes – it's the opposite of what the team did before when you had Bortles and your backup was Tanner Lee and those types. You had no competition. You had nobody to push anybody. You bring in Tua. You keep Minshew. You keep Foles for another year or so until you can cut them and reduce your dead cap space. You have essentially three horses that can go – Two that you know can ball and one that you saw at college ball and you're just trying to figure out how healthy is he going to be. Competition. Everybody wins because it makes somebody better. If you're being pushed every day, you're going to become better and it's going to give us the best version of you, which in turn puts the team in the best position to win. So, yeah, third round pick, fourth round pick, I'm taking Tua. I'm not taking him before the third, though. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, my thing is like not so fast. And I ain't talking about – I'm not talking to Jacob just in general. Not so fast on that we're not taking a first – a quarterback in the first round type of deal. Now, while it looks on the surface like we may keep the people that we have in the current front office, you can never, ever rule that out if it's a new regime. And, I mean, it's rightfully so. Like the example I used in the other podcast was, you know, Dave Caldwell didn't hang on to Blaine Gabbard, albeit Blaine Gabbard wasn't very good. But we see it time and time again, like – the next regime has no commitment to anybody on this roster uh, or on this current roster, should I say. And they could very well want, you know, to restart in some areas. And then there could be some areas that they want to uh, continue to build at. I mean, yeah. yeah. Just throwing out some hypotheticals. You know, again, this is what some stuff you do when your team's not very good. So just wanted to see what your guys <laughs> to give thoughts positive on that content, were. right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. So uh yeah, guys. Well, that's it for, for this week here on the Jags End. You know, we appreciate the support thus far. Um we'll wrap up here shortly. Uh Jay, Jacob, what are you guys working on? Where can they find it? And then we will get out of here and we're on to Tennessee. <laughs> yeah. I know, right.
as rough as that's going to be. Uh, but, you know, we're going to be scouting the Titans, um, Titans-related articles, uh, getting some insight out on them. Also, you know, I, as I said earlier, I'll probably do the shot con uh pretty much knows what he needs to know as of that loss article. I'll probably do that today and it might get some good attention or it might get bad attention or whatever it does. It'll be for better or worse. We'll see. Uh, but yeah, I want to put that one out and uh, you know, we'll continue to look at uh, as of Monday and it is the 18th of November. We'll continue to look back at Sunday's game, unfortunately against the Colts and get you some more content <laughs> up on that before we move on to the Titans on Tuesday. Uh, as far as I go, just more writing over at Steel Crew. There should be a few more wrestling-related pieces coming this week. Other than that, not too much going on around here. And I can give everybody a brief synopsis of all the more Colts pieces that we have coming this week. It was bad. It was horrible. Nothing to see here, people. On to Tennessee. <laughs> I'm Nick Saban. And I'm um, Belichick. We're on to Tennessee, okay? We're on to Tennessee this week, guys. <laughs> yeah, I would definitely suggest most Jaguar fans just move on and you know not think about this. As, you guys have, you guys have families. You know, go love your wife. Uh, you know, go go right, right ahead like and Nick said, spend right. time with your family, like Nick Foles said. You know, pretty much just defer any kind of attention to the team that uh, that you can. So, Good yeah, for as your well. health people. Yeah, yeah. Whatever you say there, Nick. Okay. Well, uh, <laughs> listen. Uh, as far as uh, as me, you know, me and Eric, of course, still just working on the Wait for a podcast. We just put out our weekly episode. Uh, what did I miss? We talked about CM Punk. Talked about Miles Garrett. Uh, talked about Nicolas Cage taking on the uh, just the role of a lifetime in playing Nicolas Cage in an upcoming movie. So, one going to going to want to check that out. But uh, yeah, guys. Of course, before we get out of here, make sure that you're che- um, keeping up with the content on Jaguars Wire dot usa today.com you can find us on facebook as well uh, and, and then on twitter we're at the jaguars wire the podcast is at jags and podcast jay is at sports grind underscore don jacob is at underscore jay della i'm at phil the filipino and if you want to support the podcast please go on to apple Podcasts and drop that five-star review if you feel like we have earned it other places you can find the podcast stitcher tune in iheart radio spotify and audio boom gentlemen it was a lot of fun of course talking jaguar football we appreciate all of you guys Go Jaguars, and then uh, Jay. What uh, we want to send one message to the front office. Uh, what's that message? It's, it's escaping me right now. Back up that breach truck because I know Jacksonville. If I'm not mistaken, I've researched this before. I think Jacksonville has a breach truck like corporation there or something. Like that. So back up the truck. All right. Make sure the duffel bags are full of money. And do what we've been begging and pleading y'all to do, and that's pay y'all. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Beep, beep, beep. Pay on, hashtag it, buy the shirts from, uh, who is it, Phil? Is it um, uh, Duval Till We Die Shop? Yeah, Duval Till We Die Shop. Shout out to them. And everybody have a good afternoon. Pay on. Pay that man. <laughs> See you guys. <laughs>